welcome into another episode of the Cali Green Monster Show. It's a little bonus episode here on this Feel Good Friday, February 12th. I'm joined here with my boy Steven again. What's up, man? What's up, man? Thanks so much for having me. I mean, not only to be back again, but for a bonus episode on a fantastic Friday, like nowhere else I'd rather be. Hell yeah, man. A little peek behind the curtain. The boys are buzzing. It was a little happy hour that the the company threw for us to lead us into this three-day weekend. So we're probably, uh, I'm about to finish my second Coors Light, and I felt like it was time to talk a little bit of sports and shit. So I feel like I could bring up the J.J. Watt news, but I feel like I talked about that earlier on the show, and everyone's been talking about it. But I know my boy Steven has been aching to get at the Brooklyn Nets. So, Steven, what's up with the Brooklyn Nets right now, man? Dude, I mean, you just set me up for failure because you were like, you just, <laughs> you just teased me with this J.J. Watt. Like, oh shit, J.J. Watt, wait, let's not, <laughs> let's not talk about that. Okay, let's talk about the Brooklyn Nets. But real quick, sleeper team for J.J. Watt that I, I discussed with you earlier today. L.A. Rams... Like, hasn't been on anybody's radar, but, like, you look at stars, defensive stars that want to win a chip, like Clay Matthews and Dominic Sue, like, other dudes. Like, L.A.'s system is a perfect place for defensive players. When especially L.A. is just an awesome market. to Like, it's just, it just attracts anybody, and especially for the Rams, they seem like they're prime and loaded to go for a championship run, especially, like, going all in trading draft picks to get matt stafford so when you said that this morning because i mean i threw out like a lot of the ones that everyone's talking about it's like joining his brother in pittsburgh or his brothers in pittsburgh to anchor an already pretty good defense he could potentially go up to the packers where he's from and help aaron Rodgers and really try to improve that defense that needs improvement and then other people a lot of people are talking about just going down to tampa bay and chasing a ring because that seems like a pretty viable place but yeah, I mean, I feel like L.A. is definitely one of those locations that is ready to win a championship. And, I mean, you stick J.J. Watt opposite of Aaron Donald, two guys that have won Defensive Player of the Year three times. I feel like, dude, that's a recipe for a pretty dominant defense. I was like, that's pretty... Yeah, I, I swore when you said Dark Horse Team... I was like, don't you fucking say the Raiders, man. Because <laughs> I was like, I feel like it's just like, like, like Steven's like, like, hey, you know who's good? Raiders. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but if the Las Vegas Raiders end up with Deshaun Watson and do that Derek Carr trade I, told, I floated out there, and then the L.A. Rams end up with J.J. Watt, you got to buy me a six-pack or something. Like, or, like, NFL's got to give me a job. Like, so, like... I deserve some kind of prize for that. Well, and that's the thing is, like, I haven't seen the Rams be brought up. Like, when you said that, it was just like a, oh, well, fucking duh. Like, that's like, it seems like a perfect move. But, like, in addition to the Packers and the, the Steelers and the, the Bucks, I've been also seeing the Ravens and the Cowboys. Because I, I was like, the Ravens, I thought, made a little sense. Because I was like, you know, they, they've got a good defense and they're... I mean, I know your opinion on Lamar Jackson. We, that we can lead into this. Because I, I do feel that Baltimore is a team that if they can... 
I, it, it's hard to say. It, I feel weird saying dynamic with the, a team that's run with, like, you know, kind of the option and has a quarterback that you would consider a dynamic quarterback that he can do a bunch of shit except throw the ball. So that's kind of a problem. And then I feel like Dallas, I don't really see that as an option. I don't know if Dallas is just because it's Dallas and you just assume that they're always going to be in on free agents and that he's in-state with Houston, so it wouldn't be that big of a move. But I feel like that's just fucking Cowboys fans, like, hoping for something. Like Both of those teams have other needs that they need to address. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, like, the Cowboys' secondary is straight garbage. Like, you bring in J.J. Watt, but, like, people are still going to throw the ball on you all the time. No, for reals. And, like, the Ravens, like you said, they need more of a passing game. Their defense is already solid. They have Judon. And uh, Calais Campbell and, like, a number of other people on no, defense. For reals. And it's like, you know, because Dallas already has Demarcus Lawrence, who's, yeah. you know, one of the best pass rushers. So He's it's like, yeah, so, I mean, like, I guess, you know, you could look at that and be greedy and think, well, how good would it be with Demarcus Lawrence and J.J. Watt? But, yeah, no, I, I definitely think that the uh, the Cowboys need to address their secondary. And, you know, if anything, before they sign anyone new, they need to commit to Dak Prescott. Because, I mean, or they got to make a decision whether Dak's going to be their quarterback or not. Because I know it makes it kind of a little bit tricky or a little bit difficult because he's just coming off an injury. But I was mentioning in a couple podcasts ago that, like, orthopedic medicine has gone, like, has increased so much over the past, like, couple decades. It's like when we were younger, a torn ACL meant your career was done. And, like, now I feel like Dak Prescott, I think he's going to be ready to go by next season. And just seeing how bad Dallas regressed when he left i feel like that just only did him favors so wait uh, dude are you some kind of scientist or something I, are you talking I, about orthopedic medicine or? I, I i i i have some good medical terminology <laughs> i was like uh, i guess i do some science once in a while you know? <laughs> <laughs> that, that is i guess my day job <laughs> <laughs> no the brilliant point dude like i i think i mean i'm interested to see where jj goes but now to what I really have been anxious to talk about for the past week is, I mean, I love, like, Colin Cowherd loves it when he's right. Like, mm-hmm. when, he, when he gets a take right, he, like, goes off about it for weeks. Like, I was right about this. You saw what I said. So now's my turn to do that. Okay. Brooklyn Nets, last time we talked about it, Kevin Durant, in my opinion, is that entire team. Like, I know... Kyrie Irving, James Harden, two big names. They were superstars on other teams before. But Kevin Durant makes that team go, and he's what keeps everybody in line. And he's with the most at stake because he wants to prove he's one of the best players ever. He wants to prove that he can win a championship without that 73-win Warriors team. And Nets recently had a three-game losing streak. Kyrie Irving was in the media saying, we're a below-average team, and blah, 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 like just showing on display his lack of leadership skills as he usually does. But Kevin Durant hasn't been there, and that's when they slip. Like he is literally the key to that team, and I think if they make it to the finals, he's got a ball. Like 30 30 points a game, stopping people on defense. Like he's got to be like next level, MVP level Kevin Durant. I think earlier when we were talking, were you mentioning that you looked at the splits before and after the trade and that they basically 
their record is exactly this almost pretty similar except their defensive efficiency's just gone completely like down yeah like in first take today they showed a side by side i think they were 7 and 6 before the James Harden trade and they're 8 and 6 after the James Harden trade and the numbers like on offensive and defensive efficiency are literally the same except for defense like their defense is awful and it's only continuing to get worse and getting rid of Jared Allen Torian Prince Karis LeVert and then replacing that with James Harden that's obviously going to make your defense worse and Kevin Durant has to be their best defensive player he has to like he's got to anchor that defense he has to defend on the perimeter he's got to be the best defensive version of Kevin Durant we've ever seen in order for them to win a chip but do you see a problem with that where it's like when you know you've got Kevin Durant on your team and it's like you're bringing Kevin Durant to be an assassin to be able to score 30 plus points a game to be able to deliver on the offensive end I think that that's a pretty flawed way of building a team when it's you have to rely on Kevin Durant to be your defensive anchor. I think that's a flawed way of building a team, but I think Kevin Durant welcomes that challenge because of the reward if it goes well. You know, like ultimately for Durant's legacy, if he brings the defensive intensity for a team with no defense, if he bring steadiness and wins to a team that lacks discipline that makes him and his legacy look so much better so do you think that the nets have any shot against if they you know because if they if they do get to the nba finals they somehow make it through the east they're probably going to end up meeting one of the la teams not one they're facing the lakers (laughs) okay you're pretty so you're pretty you're pretty all in that you think the lakers are going to come out of the west hell yeah 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 a hundred percent and then that's not just coming out of like a boy from the South Bay, from Torrance, like I mean, just, just might, right down the 110 from Staples Center. It, it might have a little bit to do with that. <laughs> but I also think that the I've emphasized this to you over and over and over and over again. What separates a good team from a bad team and a good player from a bad player is the ability to move the ball and get other people involved. And Kawhi Leonard... The one knock on him in San Antonio and even early on in Toronto was that he wasn't a good enough playmaker. He he wasn't distributing well enough. He wasn't getting others involved. Last year, there was a stretch where he was really taking that role on, but he's kind of regressed this year a little bit. Like he's not, he's not making his teammates better like he used to. He's not, he's just scoring and he's not the same defender that he was like, Okay, I'm glad you brought that up because I feel like it's crazy how times change because when Toronto won the title, I felt like Kawhi Leonard kept getting brought up like <clears throat> on first take and all talk shows and any article. It was like, is Kawhi, is this Kawhi Leonard's league? Like when he joined the Clippers, it was like he had the commercial coming out that like he was the king of L.A. now, like basically taking shots at LeBron. And I feel like definitely over the past like year and a half, like that narrative has definitely changed. Like I even saw... Um, I don't know if it was Max Kellerman or Stephen A. Smith. Like, one of those guys. Kellerman loves Kawhi. But one of those guys straight up said, at this point right now, LeBron is a better defender than Kawhi Leonard. And that's something that, like, when you hear about Kawhi Leonard, the one thing that you always hear about him is that 
he's a lockdown defender. Like when he was on San Antonio and they they were able to beat the Heat that that one that last time. It's like it was Kawhi Leonard's defense on LeBron James that was kind of like the story of that series. I think it's kind of crazy to think that people are now thinking that LeBron. I mean, I don't think it's that crazy because I think LeBron's that good. I think he can be the best at whatever he decides to do. It's like I mean, he's a six foot nine guy who, if he wanted to be, could probably be the best point guard in the league. Like, let's be real. Like, yeah. Yeah. And if he wanted to, he could be the best defender in the league. Mm-hmm. And I think you look at – so we've talked about this a bit where AD doesn't exactly have the same impact yet this year that he had last year. He's not uh, – and I know he's missing time now, but offensively, defensively, he's not bringing the same intensity. He's not exactly the same guy. And that's put more pressure on LeBron. And LeBron's had to be MVP-level LeBron. Um, And I think he's done that on defense. And the Lakers are the number one defensive team by a landslide. And I think you look at two dynamic wings, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, they should be a better defensive team. But Kawhi takes defensive plays off now. He's carrying a burden on offense that he's never had to carry before. And I think, I mean... There was a stint in Indiana where I thought Paul George was the man. But I just don't see it anymore. He's not consistent on a night-in, tonight-out basis. Puts more pressure on Kawhi. And I think he just feels like he has to be an offensive player that he didn't used to have to be. And I think it takes away from his defensive skill set. Do you think that, like, because everyone kind of says that, like, LeBron, especially, like, as his career went on, he kind of learned to kind of be able to kind of like load manage and like it's almost like LeBron didn't he was almost kind of like LeBron doesn't play defense until the playoffs do you think that you know Kawhi Leonard how he had kind of injuries a few years back and then he kind of ignited the debate of load management because he was always kind of just taking nights off just because he felt like it do you think that this is this season we're kind of seeing Kawhi Leonard kind of take his foot off the gas to turn it back on and come playoff time a hundred percent I think he has another gear. I think the playoffs are a different story. I think he could show up um, later this season. But I just think right now they need him on defense and he's not doing what they need him to do to be the best team in the NBA. Um, And I've talked to you about Utah. I know there are times right now where Utah looks like the best team. Mm -hmm. And they defensively, offensively, all around they're a great team. I think they're that regular season fluke where it's like where we've seen a number one seed Atlanta Hawks or we've seen a number one seed Chicago Bulls where like they're great, or even Milwaukee Bucks where it's like they're a great regular season team um, and they have a lot of great pieces but they don't have that championship pedigree. They don't have the star power to win a chip. Gotcha. Well, do you think that <clears> – <throat> so – because like, I, I know me and you have discussed it, and I, I had mentioned on the podcast, I think I even mentioned, like, I was talking to my buddy, and we agreed that the Lakers are so good that they don't necessarily need the one seed, you know, to be able to make it through the playoffs. LeBron's teams, if you look in the past, even with the Heat, they weren't necessarily the one seed, but they were able to figure it out. But one of the things that I guess that I think could be a little bit different in the West is that the two teams that are kind of competing with the L.A. teams for the top seeds 
happen to be Utah and Denver, which are teams that play at high elevation and like have known to be playing at, you know, Utah especially has been considered a, a tough place to win at historically. So could you see that that potentially being a problem or do you still feel like both LA teams or at least the Lakers are good enough to be able to navigate having to win, you know, be able to steal home court from one of these teams? Man, like what you were just saying for some reason just gave me nostalgia and flashback to all the times the Kobe-led Lakers played Darren Williams and the Utah Jazz in the first or second round of the Carlos playoffs. Boozer. Carlos <laughs> Boozer. Shout out to Carlos Boozer. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, yeah, Andre Karolinko, Mehmet Okor, Paul Millsap early in his career. Andre Karolinko, that guy could play some fucking defense. Yeah, man. man. <laughs> like, those were some scrappy teams in Yeah, Utah. man. And, like, they, they went into the playoffs thinking, you know, like, we could beat anybody at home. And I just think early on they did some damage on their home court. But, like, when you have a star player, obviously Kobe Bryant, that Mamba mentality, you can figure it out. And in a seven-game series you can deliver and you can – eliminate a team and I think with LeBron and AD same thing like maybe Utah could steal a game Mm -hmm. or show like some kind of upset in like game one or game two but just down the stretch I just trust LeBron to to handle so is that one of the things that like you know this year like kind of how I said that the Brooklyn could eventually face one of the two LA teams is that one of the difference you see between the Lakers and like the Clippers is that LeBron won't let the Lakers underperform like you know because it's like the Clippers being able they I think it's they gave up a 3-1 series lead last year right and got bounced by Denver I believe if it was so is that kind of what gives you like makes in a way did that kind of take the shine off the rose for the Clippers you think like because I felt like going into like last last season the season before the Lakers won it was almost vogue to be like the Clippers are the better team so I think that series did flip the script. And I think what it comes down to is like it's intensity and leadership. And I think Kawhi is missing a piece because you look at, again, Kobe, my idol, Kobe, Mamba mentality. He's going to bring it. He's going to have that intensity, come into every game like he's the best player in the world, try to win that game for you. There are times where I look at Kawhi and I'm like, you look defeated, bro. You look like you're not bringing it today, you know? Like, kind of like we see with Kyrie sometimes. And Paul George, same kind of thing. There are nights where he just looks like he's not he's not feeling it. But what, what do you think that game, is? Like, because like, it's like, it's weird because it's like, these are guys, like, you know, because it's like Kawhi Leonard, I feel like, is someone that was kind of like, you hear he was under-recruited going into college, and it's like he went to San Diego State, and, you know, Paul George is someone that, I mean, like, these are guys These are guys that worked hard to get to where they're at. Like, I mean, like, Kawhi Leonard, you could tell it's like he's kind of like a, he's had to work. He wasn't just like a naturally gifted dude. Paul George, he had to come back from that crazy-ass injury that, like, from the, you know, when he snapped his leg. So it's like that took a lot of, like, so it's like you would think that these guys that you know, like, fucking put in the work, like, how is it that they show up some nights just like not looking like they give a fuck? Maybe Toronto winning a championship scratched that itch for Kawhi. Maybe he's like, I did the unthinkable 
So do you think he might be believing his own, the, like, the media hype a little bit? A little bit. I think he might be like, I already did. I already proved to everybody that I won with a team that nobody thought could win. I already proved that I'm I'm that guy, you know? Yeah. Why do I have to do it now? Like, I kind of, like, I see that James Harden playoff shrinking. Because, like, as soon as Denver won game six, you could kind of tell it was over for the Clippers. Like, their body language, it was like they were done. Mm-hmm. Nail was in the coffin. Like, they weren't going to bring it the way they had to to finish out that series. Like, I knew it. I was like, Jamal and Jokic are going to take this. Like, so I, I just – and LeBron will never do that. Like, I, I feel like LeBron's just going to edge out these guys in the seven-game series. Any given night, the Clippers are talented enough to win. Same with the Nets. They could outscore anybody. They could beat anybody. But in a seven-game series – LeBron has that championship pedigree, that perseverance. He knows what he has to do that to win. Leadership, getting other people involved. Number one defensive team in the NBA. I think it's a marathon, not a sprint. And I think the Lakers can outlast anybody in the seven-game series. And I think that, no, I, I agree with you. Because I feel like LeBron's one of those guys that he wills his team to win. And I feel like we're seeing all that a lot right now. Because AD has been resting a tendonitis in his Achilles you know they've had it seems like the is it the past two games they've had to win in overtime against teams that are below average so I mean three three yeah I was gonna say so I mean LeBron is showing the ability that even at this age and this far into his career that he can literally put a team on his back and will them to win and one of the things I discussed a couple episodes ago was that you know Anthony Davis's tendonitis and his Achilles worries me a bit. And I think it's just because when I hear Achilles and basketball players, I think back to Kobe Bryant. I think back to Kevin Durant. You know, so it's like, it's just like, especially right after the Lakers have now signed him to like, you know, a five year extension, max money. I really just want to make sure that hopefully this Achilles thing is not going to be an issue. I mean, is this something that, like, when you if you lay down at night, you have your head on your pillow, and if you the Lakers come into your mind, does Anthony Davis's Achilles ever pop into your mind, or are you not even worried about it? Maybe this is the couple of brewskis <laughs> that we've pounded, you know, to this point. But I heard Kobe Bryant. Achilles, and I just have to pause for a second okay. to recognize one of the single greatest sports moments I've ever seen when Kobe Bryant clearly ruptured his Achilles and he was going on a string of 40 to 50 point games where Dwight Howard wasn't showing up, Steve Nash couldn't play, and Kobe Bryant's willing the Lakers to the AC to make it into the playoffs by himself winning game after game, ruptures his Achilles, and knocks down two free throws. Knowing that he wasn't going to be able to come back in, knowing that his season was done, he still sank two free throws. And that was like legend, you know? Dude, hell yeah. No, I mean, it was like as soon as you brought that up, I was like, man, and only Kobe could have done that. You know, it's like... Dude, when you think about, okay, so Kobe ruptures his, his Achilles, and uh, what do you think uh, Paul Pierce would have done? Wheelchair. 
Oh man, I know. It's like it, it, it's amazing sometimes when like you see some players who are clearly tough as shit, and it's like, oh dude, like I think you could literally smash that guy in the head with a microwave, and he'd keep coming. And then like, I mean, even LeBron had that one time with when he, he had to leave for cramps, <laughs> and it's like I get it. Like I've I've had cramps in my calf and my feet, and I like you sit there for like, oh, oh god, but like. Fuck, dude. Like, I guess it's, like, growing up as someone who played competitive ice hockey, growing up watching ice hockey, and, like, you're literally see dudes take pucks to the mouth, and all their teeth are on the ice, and they literally just, like, get a towel, wipe themselves off, and keep playing. So, it's, like, so I think it was refreshing to see a basketball player just explain, like, just just show, like, how fucking tough he is. Like, I love it when things like that. I mean... I think that just gets all the fit. It inspires people with that mm-hmm. kind of thing. As bad as it is, like, for the players, they should take care of themselves first. But on that tangent, do you remember when Russell was... I am not a Russell Westbrook fan. <laughs> I am not a fan. But his toughness is, like, undeniable. Mm-hmm. And this dude on the OKC Thunder tore his meniscus... And the next play, stole the ball, limping down the court, was still ahead of everybody else, and dunked it. And then they called a timeout, took him out, missed the rest of the game, torn meniscus out for the year. This dude dunked a basketball on a torn meniscus. No, it's funny that you you, you you bring up Russell Westbrook, because I feel like sometimes, like, with Russell Westbrook, he's one of those people, like, have you ever heard of, like, you know, someone who's almost like, trying too fucking hard like you know like and it's like and i think that he also like that's why he you know he can act like a little bitch sometimes you know because i feel like it's like he really does like he comes out and he gives like a hundred percent every fucking time and it's like and he's super intense and it's like and i think that's why he flips out when fans like talk shit to him he's just like he's just he's turned up to a hundred all the fucking time yeah. you know so it's like while like you know it's like I may not be the biggest fan of him because I think he's a big fucking baby and like you know because I want my professional athletes to kind of just be able to like it's either talk shit to the other players but it's like when you, when you can let the fans get under your skin that's when it's like it's kind of weak but at least I respect that you know when Russell Westbrook shows up like he's gonna fucking go like, 100% every time yeah every time like sometimes it's a detriment to the team when he's not hitting shit and he's turning the ball over like eight to nine times like that's the kind of like <laughs> you know it's weird because it's like what makes him good makes him bad like he's, you know <laughs> he's definitely a work harder not smarter kind of guy definitely like, definitely just like balls to the wall every single play i don't give a shit if someone gets in front of me i'm running them the fuck over i'm gonna pull this three because i'm the man and i want to win this game for us it's not always a smart move but he brings that intensity every single time, and it's admirable. But now I don't remember what the fuck we were talking about before. <laughs> no, it's totally it's it's all good. As if anything, talking about West, Russell Westbrook and like his intensity uh, and everything. AD Achilles. Okay, AD Achilles. But it's funny because now I kind of wanted to. I actually kind of want to move on a bit, actually, okay. and transition to because we're talking about Russell Westbrook and probably one of the most inefficient point guards. I want to bring up Steph Curry and just Ooh. how much this fucking dude is balling, man. Like I, I mentioned earlier on this podcast, because he last time he put up forty points. It was I think his seventeenth game. 
where he's gotten 10 or more three-pointers. And he has... Oh, shit. I don't have the stat next to me. But basically, he has a significant amount. Like, it's like more than the next five people on the list behind him. That's taking Reggie Miller, Clay Thompson, any good three-point shooter you can think of, Larry Bird, Dirk Nowitzki, like any of these dudes. He has more 17-point or more 10-plus three-point games than the next five people combined. Like, it's something, it's one of those stats that you hear about Tom Brady, like, oh, like, he has a Hall of Fame resume, like, if you just count his seasons from, like, year 37 on. Like, it's one of those, like, what? So it's like, I feel like Stephen Curry, when you watch Stephen Curry play, is kind of like when you're watching LeBron or if you're watching Tom Brady, like, you're watching literally, like, a generational dude. Like, how many people can you think of that pull up from half court, like, literally on the fucking logo, and that's a considered a legit shot? <laughs> like, Dude, Steph Curry is a dude. He's, he's first ballot Hall of Famer. Best shooter anybody's ever seen. Undeniable. I... I told you this earlier today. I think people, even with the hype on Steph Curry and the way he's playing, people are still sleeping on the Warriors. I was listening to Bill Simmons like, oh, man, it's weird to see the Warriors in this lower Western Conference, you know, with not a whole lot to look forward to. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? James Wiseman hasn't even gotten started yet. That dude is going to be a star, you know? And... Draymond Green starting getting getting into his rhythm with defense, rebounds, assists, not scoring the way he usually does, but he's bringing it in all other aspects of his game. And Oubre Jr. and Wiggins collectively shooting the ball well, playing good defense, rebounding, running the offense. Like That system is starting to click. And these are young dudes, Wiggins, Oubre, Wiseman. They're, they're kids. Like, they're like, what, Wiseman's 20? Oubre's 24. Wiggins is probably around that age, 23, 24. Like, these guys are going to have an impact for years to come. And when Thompson comes back, or if they can bring another, like, veteran supporting member in, like, this team's going to be good, you know? And I I predict that they're going to finish at the five seed this year. Well, that's – I know when you told me that earlier, I was like – that's pretty impressive considering how deep the Western Conference is. But then that just shows you that, like, how fucking good Stephen Curry is. Because, right. like, you know, you look at, like, Damian Lillard, for example. Like, he's definitely one of the best point guards. But, like, you look at what Stephen Curry's doing with Golden State, and I feel like it's it's almost kind of like, shit, like, what other point guards in the in the NBA could be able to do what he's doing with Golden State right now? He's unreal, man. He's unreal. And, like... Looking at his stats from last night, the one thing that jumped on the page, off of the page for me, were his steals. I think he had three steals or four steals. And, like, if this dude, with the way he plays on offense, his shooting ability, he gets other people involved, unselfish, like, and he can also, like, force teams to turn the ball over and get fast break points and get steals, like, that's... That's unreal. Like, I I hope they make it to the four or five seed 
and that Steph is in the MVP conversation because I think he deserves it. And I think he's one of the best players of this era, no doubt. Like, and I think you and I were talking about, I think the reason it's such a surprise to people this year is because last year when Clay went down and no Kevin Durant, people were like, oh, this is Steph time. He's got to show up, be MVP this year. This is time for Steph. And I think he missed it by a year because of injuries. I think it didn't happen last year. And now it's just like he's at full strength. He's going. It's a year later than everybody predicted. But no different. It's the same Steph Curry, same dude. Yeah, no, I think it's it's pretty it's, – it's really impressive because it's like I, I think – what you're saying it compounds that he only played five games the previous season but i think it's like if you look back to that 73 win season you know it's like up until basically the nba finals people were just talking about how you know steph it's stephen curry's league now like he's revolutionized the game but it's like all of a sudden it's like you blow a 3-1 lead in the finals you bring in Kevin Durant. It's like they were they were successful. Go to three three more NBA Finals, win two of them. Yeah. But I think the problem is is that even though like you'd hear, you know Max Kellerman, Stephen A. Smith, or anyone else, they would say like, oh, this is still Steph Curry's team. It's kind of hard when Kevin Durant is on the team and to not just by default be like, oh, this is KD. Like and especially, you know, they blow a three one series lead and they bring on KD and they literally become unbeatable. So it's like. I think that that kind of took a little bit of that shine off Stephen Curry because it went from Golden State Warriors and Stephen Curry is kind of driving the ship. Kevin Durant comes in and it's like for three years, I think people kind of forgot just how fucking good Stephen Curry is. And then it's like, yeah, then you thought that last year he was going to gets hurt. And it's like, okay, is he is he is he too old? Like he's now getting missing a whole year for injury. And it's like this year, it's like it literally is like. Y'all must have forgot, dude. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm the fucking dude. Like, screw Damian Lillard. Screw any of these fucking point guards. Like, John Morant. Like, LaMelo Ball. I know that these guys are hyped and they're doing really good and they're young, but, like, I'm the fucking guy still. <laughs> like, you know? It's yeah. like, yeah. And, dude, the whole thing with that KD thing, what kind of MVP caliber, two-time MVP superstar has the opportunity for another dude to come in and just is like, take the keys. Help us win more chips. Dwayne Wade. Agreed. <laughs> That's a good one. Okay, so two dudes have done this. Yeah. Uh, but people no. need to fucking learn. It's like, hey, yo, it, it's it's better when you share the wealth, right? <laughs> it's a test. I fucking love D-Wade. D-Wade's one of my favorite players of all time. The Flash... He was fantastic that year with Shaquille. And even with LeBron, like, underrated as a superstar during that time. But I think Steph is that team player, put the team first, face of the franchise. And that's what makes him so great. He's Warriors first. Dude, and especially it's like, I feel like, because I brought up, you know, I want to keep talking about stuff I randomly brought up this week in past episodes. Because I did talk about Steph Curry. And I was talking about how, like, he completely changed the way basketball is played and people expect to watch basketball. Because it's like, I think in 2014, I saw that teams averaged about, like, 22% of their shots were three-point shots. 
Whereas like nowadays it's in the thirties, like 40%, like people are shooting way more threes. And I thought it was pretty interesting. I'm not going to try to take credit and say like, Hey, I think I revolutionized basketball before, but I brought up that in high school when I'd play NBA 2K, I'm specifically talking about NBA 2K7 at this point, whenever I do a fantasy draft, this was the first three people I would pick. Dirk Nowitzki, because he's a power forward that could jack up threes. Richard Hamilton, because he was just a sniper, shooting guard. Richard Lewis, small forward that could jack up threes. And then at that point, I just find a point guard that can hit threes and then just like a big defending guy. And all I would do all game long is Dirk Nowitzki, if he's covered or once he gets double teamed, shoot it out to Richard Lewis or Richard Hamilton. And we're just jacking threes all fucking game. And I just remember thinking like, why don't teams do this shit? And it's like, then the next thing, you know, like seven years, seven, eight years down the line, it's like the Warriors were just like, and like now that's just, it, it's kind of crazy to think that it took that long for teams and coaches and general managers to realize like, hey, three points is more than two points. And if we could find fucking dudes that could just hit three points. like <laughs> So Steph took that to the next level. Yeah. 100% he changed the game. There were a couple of teams that that almost had that figured out, like they were on the forefront of that. And then Steph just flipped it because, like you said, every kid sitting at home, what do they want to do on 2K? What do they want to see? They want to see three-point shots. Yeah. Off the dribble, crazy, behind the back, step back, three-point shots. And that's what Steph brings. But you think about that Orlando Magic team that the Lakers beat in the finals in 09. Dwight Howard and everybody else was shooters. Mm-hmm. Hito Turkoglu, Richard Lewis, Jameer Nelson. Um, they just were surrounded with snipers, and that's what their team was, like dunks and three-point shots. And then you look at the Sacramento Kings when they had Pedro Stoyakovich, Mike Bibby, Bobby Jackson, Jason Williams. Like They had all these dudes that could knock down threes, and then Weber in the paint. Well, I think that what we can agree on, dude, is that Steph Curry is definitely a generational dude and someone that, I mean, we're going to be telling our kids about how the old people are always like, oh, remember uh, all this guy and this guy, and then the, the people that grew up in the 90s just talk about Michael Jordan. I feel like Steph Curry is going to be one of those dudes. But broski, like, I feel like we could probably keep talking for another couple hours, but I think it's time we start this three-day weekend. So until next time, man, thank you so much for joining. I think we definitely need to save some content for future podcasts, so it's good to cut it here. But thanks for having me, and it's always a pleasure being on your show, man. Thanks. Hell yeah, man. Thank you. Everyone listening, have a great President's Day weekend. Peace. Peace.